I want you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me today to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, let's go there together. Hope you have your Bible with you. Bring your copy of God's Word as we open the Word of Truth each and every Sunday together to see what God has to speak to us from the words of Scripture that He has entrusted to our care and given us to, uh, to change our lives. I challenged you with two words last Sunday. I challenged you with two words, and I suggested that your mother might have used these words with you when you were a youngster. Or maybe, boy, maybe it's your spouse that uses these words with you. Or maybe a really dear friend. Do you remember the words? Stop complaining. Stop complaining. That's the message we're hearing from Paul here in Philippians 2. We, we, we got to these verses 14 through 16 last week, and we saw that it kind of jumps off the page there, doesn't it, in verse 14. That's kind of the message that we're hearing here in the middle of Philippians 2. And he has very good reason for challenging believers in Jesus Christ to stop complaining. It's the same reason for encouraging believers toward unity in the church which we saw grows through our humility as we practice humility preferring to put others before our own needs it's the same reason Paul shows our model of humility in the Lord Jesus Christ here in chapter 2 Last week we noted that the the sins of grumbling and disputing or complaining and arguing are so common among believers that we hardly think of them as sins anymore. And we need to be on guard against that. And so I challenged you last week that what we're learning here from Paul in Philippians 2 is that to stop complaining and arguing, we must learn to put others first and we must learn to be on guard all the time against the temptation to complain, to grumble, and what soon follows, disputes and arguments. We need to be on guard all the time against this. Satan would love for us to to let this take root in our lives. He would love for us to look over this sin and let this be one of those I think it was Jerry Bridges that wrote a book called Respectable Sins. This ought not be one of those things we let slide. For very good reason, which we're going to see this morning. We need to be on guard all the time. You know what? We need to learn to lock up the me monster and be honest with ourselves about the ease with which we complain And if we are, if we're willing to do that, if we're serious about this, if we're willing to say no to self and be honest with ourselves that we quickly turn to complaining in all kinds of circumstances, if we're willing to be done with those kinds of sins in our lives, I think we'll be quickly on our way to dealing a death blow in our lives to much of what causes disputes in our homes and in God's church. And the reason we're being challenged to this, this this importance of stopping 
this grumbling and disputing, as we saw last week in verse 14. And the reason all that we've seen to this point in chapter 2 is so important seen in verses 15 and 16. I want you to see two things this morning. But it's all based on this one big thought, this one big idea. If you want to see what God desires of you, you need to understand this. And I want you to see this this morning, that this is all for the sake of our testimony for Christ before the watching world. What Paul is instructing the believers at Philippi in and what God intends for the believers at First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan to understand is that this is all for the sake of our testimony before the watching world. That the watching world would look at our lives and say something is different. Something is changing in them. These aren't perfect people, but they are changing. How? How does this happen And that they might see the Lord Jesus Christ in us. And that they might give God glory. And when I think about that giving God glory, I think of the ultimate way to give God glory. The first way you give God glory is by trusting in Jesus Christ. And that's what we want of the world around us, isn't it? Isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why God still has us here? That we might help people see Christ That's what Paul is getting to here. He says, says, I I want you to pay attention to your testimony so that the world will glorify God, so that the world will see who Jesus is and trust in him. Obey God, pursue unity, grow in humility, consider others as more important than yourself, follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, stop complaining and disputing, stop grumbling. And arguing, why? It's all for the sake of your testimony for Christ before the watching world. And and the thread throughout Philippians is this also. It's also for your joy. You want to know joy? Be concerned with whether or not your life brings great glory to God. If you're aiming to bring great glory to God, God will give you, he will pour into your life his joy. Joy that often you may not even be able to explain because it won't be necessarily in the absence of problems. But with your confidence fixed in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful to give his joy to those who pursue a life that glorifies God. It's all for the sake of your testimony for Christ before the watching world. And I want you to see here that there are two ways our pursuing unity through humility and our doing all things without grumbling and disputing magnifies and makes much of Christ before the watching world. First, and I want you to see this in the text this morning, but I want to give them to you up front so you'll, as, as I read, you look for these things. First of all, it gives a living illustration to the world that sinners are being changed by God. Not perfect people, not a bunch of goody-two-shoes, but that sinners are being changed by God. We ought not try to convince the world that we're better than they are. Were it not for God's grace, we would be lost. We would still be enemies of God. So first, it gives a living illustration to the world of sinners who are being changed by God. And second, look for this, it brings great joy to those who lead you. And this, too, is a wonderful testimony to the world. 
that brings great joy to those who lead you. When you put these things behind you, when you, when you seek to be done with these kinds of temptations to sin. That's what I want you to look for here as I read. So let's look together at the text of God's word together, beginning in verse 14, and follow along as I read from the English Standard Version. Verse 14, Philippians 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So let's note first here that our testimony before a watching world is strengthened by our obedience to God as we pursue unity, as we learn to do all things without grumbling and disputing. Note that Paul says here in verses 14 and 15 to do all things without grumbling and disputing. In verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent. Now, if you're a believer in and follower of Christ, you will have a desire to be obedient to God. If you truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're seeking to be a follower of Christ, you're going to have a desire to be obedient to God. That's what we saw back in verse 13, that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we can say, praise God that my desire to be obedient to God is is a gift from God. But we struggle, don't we? Those of you who are followers of Christ who say, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know you still struggle with sin, don't you? I know you get tired of hearing me say it, but ask me how I know And I'm not just talking about the sin I I see around me. I'm talking about what I deal with in my own life. I'm not pointing a finger at you so much as I'm saying, I know my own heart. You know your heart before God. You know you struggle with sin. I know I struggle with sin. I know believers are not going to be perfect this side of heaven. And yet, God indwells us with his spirit and gifts us his word. He gives us this gift of his word so that we might become more like his son as we mature and grow up in Christ. And so it's one of the things that I rejoice in that as I get older chronologically, I never get too old to stop maturing in Christ. And it's true for you as well. Some of you have retired from the workforce, but you never retire in spiritual growth. You ought never stop striving to grow up and keep growing up in Christ. There's always that room for growing in spiritual strength, spiritual wisdom, spiritual growth, God-glorifying obedience. That's verse 12, isn't it? You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's that's your part. You take steps of obedience. You work out your faith. You work out what you believe and have trusted in as you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with great confidence that he is working in 
You work out as he works in you, giving you the desire, giving you the ability to obey, knowing all the time how often you still have to resist the temptation of sin or confess to God that you have sinned and thank him for his forgiveness. We sin and we confess our sin. We're not perfect. It may seem like very slow going in your spiritual life, trying to make progress in the Christian life, but you work out, you live out your faith in Christ day by day, faithfully taking steps of obedience. That's your desire to please God, and those are your obedient steps to do so, all the while knowing God works in you to help you. It doesn't all depend upon you, giving you the will and the ability to obey. And all along the way, we learn that living a life that's pleasing to God is a constant process. None of us arrive at maturity overnight to the frustration of our spouses, (laughs) to the frustration of our parents, or for you children who realize, eventually you realize, as you get old enough, you realize that your parents aren't perfect. And sometimes you can be frustrated. Why? Because we haven't arrived. And yet there's hope. And we praise God that he is at work in us and he has given us his word. And he intends to use our lives as we continue to take steps of obedient faith to follow his word indwelt by his spirit that we change and we become shining lights in the world so the world looks and says that they're not perfect people but my word something is changing about them and they give glory to god they give glory to god as we share the gospel with them in some trust in christ None of us arrive at maturity overnight. It's a long journey that we live by faith in God, knowing from his word that he is doing a work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I like the way Warren Wearsby says it when he says, God is more interested in the workman than in the work. If the workman is what he ought to be, the work will be what it ought to be. That's so important. And I understand the desire that that we find in our midst sometimes to want to do the work well. But we need to be prepared for the work. We need to be well-prepared people. That's why my prayer for us as we go into Week of Vacation Bible School, and that's why my prayer for us as we go into any endeavor, is that we will be a people who are spiritually strong, spiritually equipped, because God will use people who are spiritually healthy. And he will be glorified. He will use you for his glory and for your good and for the good of those around you. And that's good news. Because verse 15 says we ought to be blameless and innocent. You see it? Children of God without blemish. God, how does that work? As we acknowledge that we're still sinners, that we still deal with sin, as we rejoice in the fact that we can say, I can say no to sin. I I know that God works in me. He's given me his word and he has given his indwelling spirit to help me say no and yet often I fail to say no. 
we're all still dealing with sin in our lives, and we certainly need God's help. But praise God we have it. And praise God that in Christ, God doesn't look at our failures. He looks at the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased on our behalf. God already looks at us as those who are blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Because he's looking to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gained that spotlessness for us. We praise God for that. And now it's our opportunity. We work out our own salvation. We work out our own faith with fear and trembling, with reverent respect before God, seeking to show the world as we take steps of obedience that God is doing that work in us. Note that blameless here means free from fault or defect. And the idea is that the believer is to be living a life that is above reproach. Now that doesn't mean that you're going to be sinless and perfect. But it means that you are called to live out the salvation that God has given you. God has saved you for this purpose. Not only to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. But so that your life might glorify him. And so that you might bring great honor and glory to him. So that others might see who he is and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're to be making progress as a follower of Christ. You're to be growing up spiritually. And in this process of maturing spiritually, you're to be such an example of those who have not trusted in Christ that they won't have anything to hold against you. They will have no valid reason for harsh criticism or disapproval of you. And note that I said valid. (laughs) I say no valid reason because you'll discover if you haven't already that unbelievers will find a reason to criticize you or your faith. Be prepared for that. Be willing to accept that. But we ought not give them a valid reason, should we? We ought to be people who are desiring to honor and glorify God with our lives that we might be blameless. Nothing should stick. Next we see The word innocent here, which brings from the original languages a word that was used of of pure wine that was unmixed with water. It was also used describing pure metal that was unmixed with anything that would be inferior. It brings the idea of being completely, the idea here is being completely without deceit and harmless. We ought to be people who who aren't going around deceiving people in our business dealings and in our lives. We've got to be people who are above board and, and honest, innocent. And then we see this phrase in the middle of verse 15, children of God without blemish, which essentially repeats the idea that we get from the word blameless. The child of God is to be without spot, without blemish, faultless, unblameable by those who are without Christ. There might be some who who blame us of something or accuse us of something, but it's not true. It wouldn't stick because it's not true. They're without argument. That's our testimony before the watching world. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 19, Paul instructed believers, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now, I think we know that in the world we live in, that is incredibly challenging. 
There are temptations at every turn. It is much easier for us to fill our heads and our hearts and our lives with filth than it is to fill our heads and hearts and lives with the things that glorify God, the things that we need to be enriched and strengthened and to grow up spiritually. But seeking to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil, that, that also is, is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with that reverent respect before God that you want to put into your life from God's word what you desperately need and to, and to guard your heart and life from those things that would stunt your spiritual growth. That's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, working out your faith. And that's what it looks like to live out your faith in Christ, to be pursuing those things that please God, pursuing those things that honor Him, those things that glorify Him. Realizing that what glorifies God is good for us. And we can praise God that that our will and that our ability to live this life isn't dependent on our own strength because as Philippians 2.13 says, let me... Let me give it to you from the New Living Translation this time. God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. It is Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb of God, says Jude 24, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Praise God for that. Thank God for that. Remind yourself that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You want to experience progress as you seek to live a life pleasing to God? Then pursue unity. Be done with selfishness. Rid your life of grumbling and disputing. And God will give you his joy. And your obedience will be a bright, shining testimony to the power of God to change the life of a sinner. After all, we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, says verse 15. We live in a world where Satan, the great deceiver, is active and effective because God is allowing him to be so for a time. And that is his only reason. And his purpose is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ snuffed out in the lives of believers. The gospel, the effectiveness of the gospel lived out before the world, snuffed out or watered down or thwarted in the lives of those who need Christ. Because it's ineffective in the lives of children of God. Because they're being caught up in the deceptive nature of the world around them because the deceiver is having his way with unbelievers. But when God's children are living out their faith, living lives of humble obedience before God, then we will, as verse 15 continues, shine as bright lights in the world. We will shine as bright lights to the world. That is, people who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. Let 
Now, how does God do this? How does God shine through us like a bright light to the world? How do we shine as bright lights in the world? Remember that a child of God is in God's family. We're part of the family of God. But the unregenerate, the unsaved, those who have not placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone, they're alienated from him. They are enemies of God, in fact, the Bible says. But God's sovereign plan is to use his word lived out and taught by God's people to transform his enemies into his friends by the regenerating work of God's spirit as people have eyes that open to see who Jesus is and believe in him and they're saved. And we are obedient to God as we live out the faith that God is growing in us. We are obedient to God. We bring God great glory as we live by faith, as we look to the word of God and and take steps of obedient action. And when we are obedient to God, we will be living, powerful examples before the world around us. And we won't be able to keep from being people who shine as bright lights in the midst of a culture that is crooked and twisted, as we see here in the Scriptures. In fact, this is how Jesus commissions those who believe in him In Matthew chapter 5, listen to verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city uh, set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, not give you glory. Although that's the natural inclination of people to say, oh, you're such a good person when they see your obedience, but to give God glory. And I take that to mean that they see who Jesus is and they trust in him. That's what we long for, isn't isn't it? That's what we long for as we live as God's people in this world, that people will see Jesus for who he is and put their faith in him. We won't lead everyone to saving faith, no. There will be those who continue to reject Christ. But the obedient follower of Christ will be a bright light making known the truth of God's word. Faithfully proclaiming the truth by their obedience and proclaiming the truth with their lips in a conversation with those they have an opportunity to share the gospel with. Shining as bright lights in the midst of of this evil world, a stark contrast to the world around us. We won't be able to help but be a stark contrast to the world around us. Secondly, I want you to note this. Let's note also that God's people will be a powerful testimony to the watching world as their obedience brings great joy to those who lead them. We live in a culture that seems like it's always divisive at every turn. We complain about our politicians. We complain about our bosses. We complain about anybody who's in authority over us. And yet, as followers of Christ, people who make up the church, 
God calls us to submit to those who lead us and to bring them great joy by our obedience as they teach us, as they instruct us, as they say, this is God's truth, you must obey. And Paul says in verse 16, look at it, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I think he's talking about the joy that will be his as he looks back on his children in the faith. It's what every parent wants to see of their biological children, their, their children and their family, their, even their adopted children. You look at your children and you say, I want them to grow up and be, even in the world we hear this, we, I want my children to be a success. And they do something. They do something that, that we look at and we call that a success. As believers, we want our children to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see that kind of success in their lives, that they long to please God, not to please mom and dad so much as they long to make God happy. That makes me happy. When I see God's people that long to make God happy, that makes your spiritual leaders joyful to see people who are overjoyed to please God. It makes me happy when I see my children who have trusted in Christ. They want to glorify God. I rejoice when I hear about my adult kids. They want to join the church. I praise God for that. We grieve over children who turn from Christ. Our obedience brings great joy to those who instruct us in the faith. Our obedience glorifies God, brings great glory to God as we bring great joy to those who lead us in our faith. And our obedience is not only a testimony of the power of Christ to unbelievers, So is the joy of our spiritual leaders. When they see God's people not throwing off those who are in authority over them, whom God has placed to lead them, whom God has placed in authority over them, as God's people hold fast and cling to the word of truth, This holding fast to the word of life is to be seen in the lives of believers as they stand fast in the word of truth, holding fast to the truths of God's word, obeying God's word. But it's also holding out the word of truth. It's not just clinging to the word of truth for ourselves, but it's also holding it out so that the world will see this is how God commands that we live. And that's not just one way. We hold fast to the word of truth as we hold it out. We think about this week of Vacation Bible School coming, coming up as we begin tonight. And what a privilege will be ours as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with this week, whom, with whom all those God blesses us with to share the gospel with this week. There's one way that we share the gospel. But that's not the only way. It's one of the high honors of Vacation Bible School as we gather to say, 
Look at Jesus. Look at what he has done. Trust in him. But Vacation Bible School is just one opportunity, isn't it? Among many. That we might cling to the word of truth. That we might hold fast to the word of truth. Not only for the sake of our own spiritual lives, but that we might be able to hold it out to others and proclaim the truth of God's word to others as we interact with people in our work lives, in our family lives, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. We also hold fast to the word of truth by our obedience. We proclaim by our obedience, this is the standard that God has given me. I believe in God's word. I trust in his promises. We do that by our obedience. We hold fast to the word of truth and we hold it out by our obedience. And we have an opportunity also. I believe that all of us in some way, shape, or form have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And that too is a way we hold fast to the word of life. Now why did Paul emphasize this? It's as he says here in verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, think about that little phrase there, in the day of Christ. Note here that the day of Christ is not to be confused with the day of the Lord that Paul speaks of in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 5, verse 2, that day will be like a thief in the night. The idea here is that that day of the Lord really focuses on the punishment of the unrepentant, of those who refuse to, to repent of sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the day of Christ is going to be solely for believers. John MacArthur says, although it will also be a time of judgment in the sense that believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The focus will be only on rewards, not punishment, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says, in the day of Christ, on the day of Christ, I want to be able to look back and rejoice that my spiritual children have have grown up in Christ, have grown up in the word of truth, have have clung to the word of life, that I have not wasted my efforts. His would be great joy at the day of Christ if those he had led and taught and instructed followed his teaching and were obedient to, to God's commands. That would bring him great joy and that would be an incredible testimony. Not only would there be eternal joy, And not only will there be eternal joy as we look back on how God used our faithfulness, I believe that that will be one of the joys of heaven, that as we we look back on how God used what we did for his glory, we have no clue what God is doing. Sometimes we see little glimpses of what God is doing, but I think one day we'll look back and see, that what I did there, did that in that person's life or ministered in that way and drew them closer to God in that way? What a wonderful joy that will be for us. But there's also present joy. for, Like the parent whose child is obedient, there's present joy. 
And there would be present joy for Paul as he heard the testimony and heard the word of the believers at Philippi as they walked according to God's word. That too would be a powerful testimony to the watching world. And it will be a powerful testimony to the watching world in our day as we submit ourselves to those whom God has placed in leadership over us to lead us in the word of truth. You want to bring great joy to those who lead you spiritually? Would you like to bring great joy to your pastor and to those who teach you and to those who are investing your spiritual lives through the ministry of your church? And do you, do you want your life to be a shining example of the power of God to change a sinner? If so, then seek to put into practice what you're being taught here in Philippians 2. Seek to put into practice what you're being taught in the Word of God. Pursue unity through humility. Pursue the needs of others as more important than your own. Follow the model of Christ. Live out your faith. And do it in reverent humility before God. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And do it all knowing you have God's help. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for the sake of your testimony for Christ. Do it for the joy of those who lead you. And do it all so that the watching world will know that you are truly a follower of Christ, so that they too may turn to Christ in faith and be saved, so that they too may give God glory.